Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Hey guys, we're back for another episode of We Got Balls, and today we're going to be talking about one of those topics that, you know, you got to get your mind around a little bit, Scott. I, I uh, was a business minor in college, and so I've taken my share of economics classes and marketing classes and even human resources classes. And so there's a lot, when we think about sex, what, one of the issues that really doesn't get discussed much unless you really do a deep dive, is the business of sex. As you like to call it, risque business. <laughs> We're into risque business today. Yeah. And so what's funny is the first strip club I ever went to was called Cafe Risque. Mm, there you go. Interesting. Okay. A little interesting there. So won't tell you where that was, but that's a story from the time. In, in my own journey, I, I know that there's been a lot of shame around the times when I did spend money on my sexual struggles, whatever way that was. And, and there's no reason to get specific because uh, we've all invested time and money and energy into uh, this very broken place in our life. And yet there's a whole economy, there's a whole dynamic that I think it's very important to expose and become aware of so that when we engage in these kinds of behaviors, we understand that it's, it's affecting not only us, and our families, but it's also impacting the world at large. You know, for me, Scott, when you're talking about this this type of uh, economic dynamic, is you know, porn is the is there or prostitution is the oldest profession they say. So essentially, that's real life porn is what prostitution is. Yeah. Is someone being objectified and used for money, whether it's visually or physically. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're using another human being's image and you're taking their, their uh, essential worth and value and beauty. And you're taking that, you're monetizing that. Yeah. Uh, and so in the recent past, let's kind of catch us up where we are. Obviously, uh, m most of the porn in, um, the 20th century, early 20th century was, was, uh, written cartoon, maybe some magazine, maybe some illicit photography. Photography was a new technology back in the first half of the 20th century. And then of course, as movies and, and, and video came popular, it, it became film, became porn on film. And you would go and whether you'd go to a, um, we go to an X-rated theater or you'd go to a peep show where they show little mini reels in a box uh, or you go to a live show, there would be some, uh, you know, kind of black market live shows that continued to increase as the, the, the time went on in the, in the 1900s. And then you have this novelization of technology. And I think that's where we, we're going to get to today is you have this idea of I can consume this in private in, the, in my own home. So the first thing is VHS tapes. Not many people had, um, you know, film reels to show porn at their house. But when the VHS tape was popularized, that revolutionized the industry. In fact, it, it really took the film porn industry um, out. 
Uh, and there's multiple movies um, about that. Boogie Nights is about that. Um, there's a TV show on HBO that, that talks about the evolution of porn. And so there's all these different kinds of, of technologies that transition. So VHS is the first, then DVD is the next. And here comes, and this is why we're doing this, internet pornography. So dial-up and streaming pornography really become the thing. And then there's tube sites. And all along this, people are, you know, you pay money for access to the movies. You pay money for access to the site. You pay money uh, for access to, this is the revolutionary piece, to the individual's. So now the business has boiled down to essentially this. There's still a few movies being filmed, but they're not very lucrative. The real money is in individual people, men and women, taking their clothes off and uh, exposing themselves and doing sex acts for pay on a subscription basis on sites like OnlyFans or Jerkmade or Cam Soda or any any of the, the single production and I was shocked when I looked up the top 10 of OnlyFans is there's some guys there. It's sure. not just women. There's two sure. or three guys on the on the top 10 of earners for OnlyFans. Yeah. So what? So, t- talk about kind of how this revolution came and all the impacts of it. Well, so you get high-speed internet connections at around uh, 2000, maybe yeah. 1999. And that's where... People don't have to sit and listen to the, you know, the AOL dial-up tone and wait for the pictures to load and everything. Once you start to get higher-speed internet connections, then it starts to mainstream the availability and the accessibility of pornography in the home mm-hmm. or on a device that's fairly private. So you have available, you have anonymity, and then mm-hmm. you have affordability because it starts yes. to become commodified as it becomes more available. So it just follows supply and demand kind of yield curves where when the product is more available, the price is going to drop. So you could go to sites and sign up, you know, and and nowadays I haven't seen what the prices on subscription porn sites are, but maybe it's 10 bucks a month or something like that. And so well, on OnlyFans, it's, it's, it's dropped. I mean, it used to be 20 to to 10 to 20 bucks a month and now it's down to three to five dollars well on pay on paid porn sites it used to be that way 30 bucks a month and now it's 10 or whatever so you have these economic you know you have basically uh free enterprise economics that get involved in the mix and it commodifies everything so just seven years ago this is according to uh covenant eyes who, who does a good report on just porn stats um, so this is the most recent one in 2021, I believe. Just seven years ago, the global porn revenues were estimated at $20 billion, with $10 billion coming from the U.S. market. So the U.S. market is the biggest market in the world. Always porn, has been. It's always porn. driven. We're it. also yeah. the biggest producers of porn in the world. Yes. However, by 2011, both global and U.S. porn revenues have been reduced by 50%, due in large part to the amount of free pornography. So there's that commoditization. So yes. who's going to pay for it when it's available on Pornhub or Hamster XX or whatever? So it's estimated that 80 to 90 percent of Internet porn users only access free online material. So there's where the market went. Right. Yeah. And as yeah. far as online pornography is concerned, from 2001 to 2007, the Internet porn industry went from a billion dollar a year to three billion dollars a year. So even on the, the free sites, they're selling ads. For yes. adult products, whatever. So MindGeek or whatever they're calling themselves these days, which is the company that owns the majority of these tube sites, 
they're creating ad revenue. And, and FYI, um, I, I, I tuned into the, the business of porn, uh, documentary on Netflix. Uh, and in that, that doc, it was, it's a freaking ad for putting content on Pornhub. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me that here, here you are, you know, I'm thinking they're going to expose and they're going to talk about the harm. And there was a little bit of that, but I'm 95% sure that the, the business people said, Hey, you know, any publicity is good publicity. So let's get our name out there for free on Netflix. So we already addressed this issue kind of of the uh, we're all pornographers now. And and um, when we did the um, the amateur porn episode yes. in a couple of podcasts ago. So now you and I can go film ourselves having sex and whatever variety of sex we want to do. And we can upload and, it. And the public sex episode, which we just dropped, is like it's now becoming it's a changing arousal template. Now I'm turned on by these ideas of people seeing me or watching other people having sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so not only, so in the past, you know, you you could make the case that all pornography trains us all to be voyeurs, because Mm -hmm. what do we do? We're masturbating, we're having sex with ourselves, we're masturbating, typically, while we're having complete strangers, while while we're watching them have sex with each other. And so that's voyeurism. So voyeurism has traditionally been considered a paraphilia, because I get off by watching, you know, people either secretly or knowingly have sex. Well, mm-hmm. now it's gone from voyeurism being part of everybody's arousal template, because if you're using porn, you're a voyeur, yep. to actually exhibitionism becoming part of that arousal template. So not only can yep. I watch, I can show, I can demonstrate, yes. I can be the object of desire. And that's really, when you start looking at OnlyFans, that's both the amateur porn that we talked about being available, but now the way to to make money off of that is what OnlyFans offered content creators. Because when yes. you upload a video on Pornhub, you're not making the money. Pornhub's making the money. Well, you're making a little bit if you get the views. It's like YouTube. You know, you get enough content views, oh, you, you make you right, make a right, cut. Right. But I think when you when you're when you're into this, I think it's important what you just said, and I want to put a highlight on it which is we're all moving into this more degraded view of sexuality. Now, in order to be sexually um, turned on, I've got to watch people have sex. I may even have to film myself having sex. And so the privacy, the intimacy, the connection that was des- that were, how sex was designed to operate is getting stripped away because of the uh, economic value of it. That's a really good point. So the arousal template shifts to including multiple parties and it shifts to me being aroused by multiple parties watching me. So, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and the research on this is arousal templates do change throughout our adult life. So you can start to adopt new behavior that becomes a part of what arouses you. And that's kind of the interesting dynamic that's going on here. But let me just kind of cover um, OnlyFans in a brief little intro, like what is it? What are the economics of it? So they're really the adult industry disruptor because they, more than anybody else, made it available for people who do like to exhibit their bodies and their sexuality to make a lot of money on it. So if you're a content creator on OnlyFans, you keep 80% of the revenue and OnlyFans keeps 20%. So they flipped kind of the traditional creator content distributor economics on its head. Much more generous in their distribution of the money. Yeah. So... Uh, OnlyFans clothing is optional, but not the cash. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. That's why I'm so here. 
here's the history of it. They launched in just July of 2016. So that's only seven years ago, right? Right. And right. it was a way for content creators to really monetize their content, but it didn't take off until 2019, 2020, which is when mm. COVID struck. So there's a couple of dynamics there that led to that is one, everybody's locked down at home, they're bored, right? They're fighting with their spouse and this new way of enjoying sexual content comes about. Um, and so it, it started to attract a lot of audience. But at the same time, people got furloughed from a lot of jobs, so they weren't making yeah. money. Yeah. So a lot of individuals turned to OnlyFans as a way to supplement their income while they weren't making money at their traditional jobs. And some people really hit it big. And then, of course, the PR engines for OnlyFans starts promoting this fact that you can become rich by taking it off. And you know, the reality is it's, it, we'll, we'll dive into the economics of that. But that's what really blew them up was COVID and people turning to the Internet for entertainment, or as we like to call it, kind of auto-regulating behavior that mm -hmm. offered a sense of life-giving connection in the midst of being really locked out of that. Well, and I think it's it, we would be remiss to not discuss the personal aspects of this. Because, um, you know, with, with studio production of porn, even amateur production of porn, it is, it is, it is kind of like, you're the voyeur in the room. There's something going on between two people or, and occasionally there would be some videos where you would be, someone would, would be performing for the camera. But from what I understand about OnlyFans, it is directly marketed to building a relationship with a performer. That's right. And they're, they're curating their style and their likes and their interests. And that's about the same time um, JOI, Jerk Off Instruction Porn, really got popular. Um, ASMR, which is, you know, the sound quality, the hearing, the, the arousal of someone else really took off is in this same time that OnlyFans is, 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 is becoming very marketable and very, um, a great resource for people to make money. So yeah, when you're watching somebody have sex and there's no interaction, it's very, it's very impersonal, very objectifying. And that doesn't last very long in somebody's arousal temple when they find out, Ooh, I can interact with people. Right. But, but also you, you know, your money is going to support a person and not a business, you know, again, you're still supporting OnlyFans for some of that, but for the lion's share of your money. So I don't feel bad about spending 10 bucks a month because I'm just helping this girl, this poor girl. She can't, she, she's she, a single mom from Detroit yeah. and she's got to feed the kids, right? Exactly. So I'm just, I'm being charitable. So, um, yeah, that's a really great, Oh, <laughs> we're tugging on the heartstrings. So by the end of 2020, um, OnlyFans had become a huge success. They reported paying out over a billion dollars to content creators. What did we wow. just say? We said that the entire industry was um, 10 billion in seven years. So they're they're 10 percent of the industry, right? Yeah, that's a huge jump up. Or or actually, they're they're uh, five they're um, five percent of the global industry, but of the U.S. market, they're 10 percent. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, out of nowhere, like, boom. Right. And, but here's the thing. Adult content sites have consistently been among the top 10 visited websites in the world for, you know, almost two decades now. Sure. So they're just kind of supplanting what was up there and replacing it with this new theme. Here's right. the really interesting thing. So 
We talked about OnlyFans gives the content creators 80% of the revenue. They keep it. They had gross sales um, in 2021, which is the latest data they report, of $4.8 billion gross sales. Mm. Okay. So that's a much bigger percentage of the market than we talked about. And then in 2021, this means they paid out $3.864 billion to creators and they had net revenues of $931 million. Their gross profit was $560 million. They're really profitable. They have 60 employees. Yeah. It doesn't take a lot of people to manage this company, right? So so let's get back to the economics of this. Is it, it, it In the beginning, when OnlyFans took off, especially during COVID, it was the right modality for making money at the right time. It, 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 it ticked a lot of boxes for people, and it became extremely successful and profitable. But now here we are three years on into um, what I would call the Zoom era, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what you want to call it, but where everybody's more comfortable online. I mean, you know, we're we built our relationship in the Zoom era, Scott. You know, that is, that is true. We've gotten to know each other virtually. So now, just like these other people think they're getting to know people on OnlyFans, more and more people are saying, hey, I want to make a quick buck. And so you have the high end earners that are still earning a, a lion's share of the money. But I think you said, as we were talking earlier, what is the average earning per day for the average OnlyFans content producer? Well, okay, here's the stats on this. They have 2.16 million content creators. That's a lot of people wow. that they've attracted That's a to create lot content. Of people. Yeah. So if you take their gross sales and divide it by 2.16 million, um, that only equals about $2,000 a year for a person. Wow. So, so we're talking about less than 200 bucks a month, probably 150 bucks a month. For $6 a day, you're taking it off. You're having sex. You're doing wow. whatever you want for $6 a day. So it's about the price of a Starbucks cappuccino. <laughs> yeah. That's what so you get. So here we go. So let's, let's just, let's just put it out there. And I think part of why we're doing this episode is to educate and also uh, encourage people who are struggling in this area that there is a cost much greater than the than the economics, um, and we'll 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 hit that in the subsequent episode. What is the cost to you? But the reality is, there are people in this world who are exposing themselves and creating shameful experiences day in and day out. I mean, the the way that you produce OnlyFans content or really any self-produced porn content is you get yourself washed and shaved and dolled up and lotioned up and you set up your lights and you set up your cameras and you kind of have an agenda and you get there and you begin to disrobe and you do your sex act and you have your culmination of the sex act and then you turn it off and then you open up your laptop and then you edit it, you know, and you make sure that it's, it's in the lighting that you want. It's a business. They're trying to produce content. If you've ever done any content production, it's work. And they're doing hours and hours and hours of work, most of them, for pennies. And pennies. And, and it's not just the economic loss, you know, because think about the amount of time you're spending doing all of that. It's not just the amount of time you're masturbating for the camera. It's everything that you said that goes on behind the scenes. Yes. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort. So you're reducing your actual just take your hourly wage with what you get from your job and divide that by 2000. Again, what do I earn on an hourly basis? And then right. take this number and look at how much time you're spending creating content 
for OnlyFans and what you're getting paid at a $6 a day rate. You're not even being paid 50 cents an hour when it, when it comes down to it, probably. So, but there's other risks. Totally. So I'm getting naked. I'm exposing my sexuality for, for who knows who, and I have the ability to attract haters and trolls. So if I'm going out there to exhibit my body and somebody doesn't like my penis or thinks it's too short or this or that, or they don't like my face, I'm going to hear about it. Right. And so let's even go deeper than that. And, And this is just for the average woman, just for the average woman. If someone gets on Instagram, they're not even taking their clothes off. They get on Instagram. You know what the majority of the messages, the direct messages they get if they're an attractive woman on Instagram? What are they getting? Sex. Sex solicitations. They're getting dick pics. Dick pics. So here I am. I'm trying to make money, and I am doing that by taking my clothes off. But all of the messages that I receive and all the comments that I get are treating me like a receptacle for someone else's sexual arousal. That, whether it's sending dip, dick pics or making derogatory comments or saying, I want to F you or, you know, whatever it, it is that you want to say, uh, imagine this type of work. Imagine you go to work every day to be shamed, to be objectified and to be uh, commodified. Your body so, is all that matters. Your body and your sexuality are the product. Yes. You're a product. Yes. And yes. you're a product, not for connection, but for consumption. Uh, so here, here's another risk that a lot of people don't contemplate. Most of these content producers, when they get started, as we talked about, only the top 1% to 2% are making hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's a right. very small percentage of people out of that total universe of 2.16 million content producers are really hitting it big. Right. So the rest... Of everybody's just basically eking out 50 cents an hour, maybe if, if they're, you're generous that. Right. Um, but they, we talked about being trolled, being commodified as a person, having your sexuality just, ba- you're, you're just the product. But what about doing this while I'm working my real job? How many people do that? Mm, probably and do a it lot. On the side, and they're not telling their boss at Procter & Gamble, oh, by the way, I masturbate on camera for an audience. Well, I can tell you for certain that there are many teachers who do this. And oftentimes when a teacher is found out, she loses her position because her side job is not approved by the community. And so therefore she is judged. And sadly so. I mean, I think there can be a lot more curiosity and grace than there is, but she's just fired from her job because it's easier to just get rid of the problem than deal with it. And frankly, that's for most business jobs that have any kind of contact with the public. And so you're taking a tremendous risk with your content being leaked to the public and you kind of either being sextorted for that because sextortion is a very real thing. And you could have somebody threatened, hey, you're going to give me some of that money or I'm going to leak these videos to your employer. But the other aspect is just putting it out there and, hey, did you see uh, Sally Teacher is doing this? And then your day job is in jeopardy. And not only that, but it's the impact that you have on family and friends when they discover what you're doing for all that extra income. So a lot of people don't consider that. Yeah. So let's get to the to the bottom line of this is economically, what is the who gets the money in porn? Who gets it? At the end of the day, um, OnlyFans <laughs> or the producers. It's, it's, it's the, the businesses and a very few 
content people. Very few. There, there's probably in the top 0.1% of people who ever do porn on, 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 a, on a professional level who actually are able to say they can translate some of that money into financial security and other businesses. But nobody, th- there are no 80-year-old porn stars. Yeah. Yep. Because the economics of porn says that you're using up your body and your youth and your energy to create this, create this um, product and somebody else is benefiting at your expense. There's a shelf life on your body and your sexuality yep. in terms of marketability. And you need well, to think about that going into it. But it's also your soul, Scott. And we're, we're spiritual people and we believe that there's something that's deep inside of us it's designed for something with purpose and when you're creating this content it's soulless yeah because you're literally putting on the thickest mask you can imagine to pretend that you're excited to be naked to a camera and that you're aroused by these things that uh men or women are saying to you and and you you lose that part of yourself. That that that's why I, I when I talk to my kids and I talk to young people, I was like, be careful with your sexuality because the more that you give away, the the more you lose of your soul. And so the the real cost in this is I'm giving away, I'm selling my soul for the hope, the the, the very scant hope that I might get a few dollars and have some financial security. And the math just doesn't pan out to say that's going to happen. So the the additional risk that we haven't talked about then is I have to start numbing my soul because I can't tolerate myself for what I'm doing. So ex-porn star Tanya Burleson said men and women in pornography do drugs because they can't deal with the way the industry treats them. Yeah. And you're going to have to start going to some kind of numbing activity over time because you can't stand what you're having to do for money. Yes. Um, so there's that additional cost that's involved in that. And, you know, there is no end to being on that hamster wheel. Once you start no. running that, you've got to keep upping the ante to attract the audience. So you've already talked about, I think you, you and I were talking about the fact that the cost for an average subscriber to OnlyFans has plummeted over the last year. Yep. And so the the economic destruction is taking place within that own marketplace where people are not willing to pay 10 bucks a month now for your content, unless you're willing to kind of take it further. Because again, arousal templates aren't satisfied with where I am now. They always want to go to more extreme because it's being driven by that dopamine depletion that's occurring in the user and they want more, more, more. So what are you going to do to up the ante? So the further is degradation, is I've got to expose more of myself. I've got to do more more and uh, different kinds of sex acts. I've got to degrade myself to the place where uh, they'll want to continue to um, uh, subscribe to my channel because other people aren't willing to do what I'm willing to do. Yeah. And that's, and that's the cost is um, I lose my soul, I lose my body, I lose my identity in the pursuit of this kind of um, economic model, uh, the, the sexual gratification economic model, which we've said, and I think anybody that's, that's a realist will say, 
is bottomless. There, there is no end to this level of um, desperation chasing this type of monetary return. Well, ultimately, Chris, doesn't it have to go to actual prostitution for some people? Well, that's that tends to be the most reliable way for porn stars to make their money. And um, if you do any research into people who've stuck it out in the industry, which means they've been in the industry longer than five to 10 years, inevitably they will say, I had to result to escorting or prostitution. And that, again, is the oldest profession in history because this economics of porn is not new. It's been going on as long as man and woman have existed. And so what we're talking about here is not something that can be solved with some new model or some new um, crusade. It's literally doing the work ourselves to understand how can I not be part of the problem and how can I begin to help others heal in, from my own story of recovery. And so that's, I think, where we want to invite guys into their own work is that um, we can continue to consume and continue to keep the hamster wheel turning, or we can get off the hamster wheel and, and grieve the pain that has happened in our own life and that we've turned to to cope with the pain that we've gr grown up with and been taught that is what you need to survive. And I think, you know, lest anybody misunderstand our intention in doing this, we're not trying to scold and shame and uh, vilify what people are doing, you know, to, to in this space, that's not the way out of it is to yep. hate yourself even more. I yep. think just like we tell guys, if you want to leave a porn habit behind, you have to see, you have to be honest about how it's serving you. How is it helping you? And it, if you're kind of caught up on this on the creator side, how does it help you to exhibit your body? How, what's that doing mm. for you? And if this is the case, which we, we say that it is, it's basically turning you into an object, you're the product, and that product gets commodified over time, the mm. way out of that is to actually go back to your identity and realize the yep. value of who you are as a very unique human being. Because Good, lovable, beautiful, and worth beauty. Yeah. So that's the way out is to begin to go back and start to honor yourself for who you are and what you possess as a unique image bearer, I would mm. say of God, instead of seeing yourself as just a, a product. Yeah. And I think um, whether we're content producer or consumer alike, everyone has got there because of their shame. And that's a big theme in what we talk about. Um I don't think I am worth anything good. I think I'm unlovable. I think I deserve to be treated the way that my dad treated me or the way that my mom treated me or the way that my sexual abuser treated me. And um, that's just not true. You, you all deserve, we all deserve to be loved and to be cared for and to be, as our friend Kurt Thompson says, seen, soothed, safe, and secure. So if you're interested in getting curious around how you might move in that direction, reach out to one of us. We'd love to talk to you more. We've got some availability on our calendar every single week to talk to guys uh, just like you who want to take the next step forward. And we're glad to do that and uh, offer whatever help we can because we care. 
Um, and we care not because we want anything from you. We care because we want to see you heal and grow. So guys, that wraps up this episode of, uh, we've got balls. <laughs> no, we don't. We, we've don't got anything. Oh, uh, hey guys. <laughs> well, so, so that wraps up this episode of we got balls. <laughs> yes, we do. And so do you take care guys. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.